This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Julie from A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Hi, I'm Seth. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about book two of The Fellowship of the Ring and The Lord of the Rings, which uh, I guess is titled The Ring Goes South. And (laughs) it has many meetings. (laughs) (laughs) Many, many, many. Many meetings. Um, I I picture uh, Elrond with a PowerPoint (laughs) projector and (laughs) lots of notes being taken. And it it does take all day, right? They start in the morning. They have meetings, 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 and then somebody complains about it. It's it's almost lunchtime. It's a hobbit, of course. It's Bilbo. Bilbo. Bilbo's getting hungry. And then he gives a big, long speech. He misses his first and second breakfasts. I don't know. I, I mean... I guess I, I it's felt very like it different. was noon and they did a lot by noon. I guess, yeah. I mean the narrator skips over most of uh the the stuff we we know. We only get the stuff we don't know, I guess. Which is still a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And there's a lot of background information. I mean, in science fiction they'd call this info dumping. But it, it just fe- feels very strange compared to again, like the Tolkien imitators. They don't have a lot of meetings. You know, councils and stuff like that. It's more like, okay, here's the prince. He he's assigned you this job. Go out and do it. This is something well, that would was... be cut out by a modern editor. A modern editor would not be like, yeah. There's well, no chapter called many meetings. Yeah. Well, unless it was an author who has already pub- like Brandon Sanderson could get away with this because he's you know he's published multiple books. It's like Robert Jordan. He couldn't he couldn't get away with stuff like this in his early books, and then mm. by the time he had. 10 or 11 bestsellers tour tours like okay do do whatever you want so but normally you couldn't get away with this in modern publishing but what i was struck by in reading this and thinking about the fact that so many people complain about that chapter with the big meeting which never bothered me because no, so was... many short stories stuck together maybe yeah, yeah. It's so, so much cool background material for right for, yeah i really but, liked it yeah, explaining what, what the hell's been going on and why, because you, we have all these questions as readers, right? Like, why, why, what about this? And, but we also get to meet a whole bunch of people. That's the other thing is, is it's not just like, you know, PowerPoint and <laughs> photocopies <laughs> and that sort of thing. Um, it's also meeting all these characters, right? There's a, a whole bunch of people at the meeting and, you know, some of them are from The Hobbit and some of them are, are the uh, we meet Bilbo again, right? But also we meet Gimli and we meet uh, uh, I don't know who's Legolas, Legolas, yeah. And there's a, a few Boromir. other people. Who, oh. There's a few <laughs> other people who don't go on the trip, right? Uh, I noticed that this time. I'm like, oh, all these other people yeah. who I didn't remember. Uh, but one thing I wanted to say is something that really hit me that I think was brought up when I was talking about this book one other time was. Um, Tolkien's got this rhythm to the way he tells the story. You have the, here we are in the setting, which is, you know, first you've got the party in the first book, and here you've got the recovery of Frodo. Mm -hmm. And he finds out what it's like to be in the elf in Rivendell and all this kind of stuff. And then you have, here's what's got to happen. Let's all talk about it. And then you have adventure. And then you have (laughs) 
recovery again. And it's kind of a soothing rhythm in that you're not continually dragged on one adventure to the other. Mm-hmm. And you're also not just always talking about stuff. I mean, it, it kind of all flows really well. He's got a little in the in the contemplative parts, he's got people talking about their adventures. And in the adventure parts, you, when people say things, it has more depth because you know more of their story. I mean, it's a really wonderful way of kind of enveloping you in this world because when i was when when you when i was starting this and i was like lord of the rings why have i never read that because i was afraid of like action 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 Mm -hmm. action like i I was like i can't i can't deal with that much you know going on all at once i need a break and and i and i didn't feel like that when i was reading it i did feel like there was a rhythm and there was a pace and and i wasn't overwhelmed with just like you know beating up with swords and axes and stuff, which is what I was expecting. <laughs> we get some of that in this book, but but it's yeah, it's spread out. Most most of it's walking, <laughs> meetings and walking. And then well, yeah, they spend. I, I I love this. They spend two months in in, in Rivendell. Two yeah. months. I mean, that is a hell of a that's a European style vacation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we gotta wait for the riders to check things out. Get back. I know. Stop, heal up. They're feeling it too. Like they're like, I'm not really feeling this adventure. I'm kind of, kind of happy here. And it's also it's winter. I mean, I assume that that makes a difference. It doesn't seem to affect the climate grossly. But they they did they say they were heading out in winter? Like, oh my god, Mm -hmm. now it's winter. We're leaving yeah. now? Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. Bilbo, yeah. Bilbo kind of makes the thing of it. He's like, when trees are black and when pools are black and trees are fair, it is evil in the wild to fair. He's like, well, it's, mm-hmm. it's your fault for, <laughs> for setting out on my birthday. You know, you, you could have avoided this. Well, until they get to the Misty Mountains, though, it doesn't seem like, uh, which I guess is pretty, you know, pretty fast. But it, you know, until that snow starts piling up, and I, I love the. Pers- Personification of of uh, the mountain. What, what's the, what's the mountain's name again? Karadras, I can't remember. Yeah. Karadras. Mm. Yeah. What was what Karadras. was that? Karadras. Right. Yeah. I love the names too. I mean, it, yeah. Sam says something like a, a, a real jawcracker of the dwarfish language must be <laughs> jawcracker. <laughs> I love Sam. He is so um, he's so down to earth. Yeah. The whole way through. Do you think it's arguable that he's our viewpoint character? Like he he is us in the story. I was just thinking that. Yeah, I mean, I mean in the Hobbit, Bilbo does that. Yeah, yeah, but Frodo's Frodo is. Um, I mean, we see a lot of what's going on with him, uh, but I mean, we see his dreams more than you know other people's dreams. Although I I want to talk about dreams in this book as well because uh, we had dreams in the first first one uh, and i guess uh yeah but you know he, speaking he of dreams like the try oh go ahead no my son no, i was gonna sam because he's the one that says everything that you know frodo will say okay i, I will you know we should follow uh gandalf but sam says exactly what everybody's thinking mm. so he could be like yeah he is he is much you know he's about cooking cooking and you know 
<laughs> he does that thing when they're setting off that I love, which is ah, rope. I know I'm going to need it because I don't have it. <laughs> and I was like, that's just like when you're going on a trip and yeah. you're so practical. You're leaving and you're going, did I forget this? Oh, my toothbrush. And mm-hmm. not that you can't get another one, not that it's going to do any good and you're going to turn back, but it's that very regular thing that we all know. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, like you know, my pony, you're going you're gonna to send yeah. him back out there? Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. Oh, Bill. Oh. <laughs> And he's got such a basic name. <laughs> yeah, he's got a Wikipedia entry, by the way. <laughs> Bill the Pony. Bill awesome. <laughs> yes. It's a part of all, all the animals of, of, of Lord of the Rings, but mm. it, it, he's got a substantial section there. Um, <laughs> so I, I, was, I was, uh, somehow got onto the idea of dreams, and I, I, that reminds me that right away, in the very beginning of, uh, of many meetings, uh, Frodo wakes up, uh, he you know, sees Gandalf, you know, has a little chat, and then uh, he says, "I wish, I wish, I w- wish everything, you know, everything's good. But I sure wish I could see Mr. Bilbo again, or mm-hmm. just Bilbo right. again." And then he goes to sleep. And then when he wakes up, he meets Bilbo. Well, not right away, but the important part is it's all a dream after this point in the book. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you're going into the Wizard of Oz now, right? So. Um, well, the thing that I thought was kind of interesting this time through was um, after Gandalf has told what here's what happened and you know why you were unconscious and the, the I was the one who put the horses into the water and that kind of thing which I thought was great yeah. but Frodo says oh yes I thought I was drowning with my friends and enemies and all but now we're safe Gandalf looked quickly at Frodo but he had shut his eyes yes you're all safe for the present and you start to see he and um, maybe Elrond a touch, but I don't think I marked it, are starting to go, wait, you think you're stopping here, but I just have this feeling, yeah, you know, that you're not done. And it's just that, oh, he looked at him. Yeah, you're safe for the present, mm-hmm. you know. I, so well, There's, there's a, another well, dream. There's another dream uh, that's mentioned in this first couple of chapters, Boromir. Uh, mm. He came to Rivendell because of a dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he, well, the thing is, is now that we know about uh, about Boromir completely, uh, or at least a lot more, um, he gets a little tiny. Uh, well, <laughs> I won't get into it for Mice's sake, but uh, <laughs> um, in he his brother Faramir had a dream, um, in which. Uh, he was told to go look for the sword that was broken in Imladris. And then his father, Denethor, tells him, oh, Imladris, that's that's uh, the modern name for that's Rivendell. And so he, he, that's what he's doing here. But what's interesting is Rivendell, uh, sorry, Boromir gets the dream after his brother Faramir gets it. And I almost don't believe him. Well, his brother's <laughs> had it a lot of times. Yeah. And he doesn't go, and you don't know at that point anyway. You don't know if it's because fair. Well, and he doesn't even say his brother's name, um, but you don't know if his brother didn't go just because he didn't want to, or because Denethor, you know, is like, let's ignore this. Yeah. Because Boromir has to. He's like, I I came anyway. Because what you see about Boromir is from the minute he opens his mouth, whoa. This guy has got something to prove. Yeah, he's got a chip on his shoulder. Oh, 
And it's hilarious watching him come up against Aragorn. Aragorn's very, uh, you know, he... He's a bit snippy to him. No, but, he, and, you know, he also, he's the one who says, we, we got to take this guy with us on our, uh, you know. Yeah, when, 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 uh, when Elrond was naming the people that were going, he didn't name Boromir. That's right, this is going to do nine. That's Elrond's contribution. We're going to do nine because then it's symmetrical <laughs> to the riders, right? Nine, We're going to get nine. nine walkers. And here's okay. the list. And the list is going to be, uh, well, Frodo, of course, and, uh, and oh, Aragorn. And, and then Aragorn says, and? Well, and that's fine because that goes along with what he says later is he feels like that dream that he heard that they said was his sign that, ah, now it's my time. It's my hour Mm -hmm. to become the king and to fulfill the prophecies. But it's not that I feel like he doesn't value Boromir for what he is. He's just like, really? Because you're not the only one who's been doing stuff. I'm not going to brag, but... And even Elrond later says, you know, there's more going on than you know, Boromir. Other things have been working to keep things safe. So just, you know. Well, he's pretty focused on Gondor. Gondor, Gondor, Gondor. Yeah. Yeah, but every time anyone says anything, he goes, well, it's not Gondor's fault. (laughs) We've been on it, man. And and you go, yeah, and no one's been helping us. It's saving your ass forever. Right. that That is true, though, right? Gondor is the only people they can rely on is Rohan. Right, and they don't know uh, all the bad things that Saruman's up to. Right, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying it's the method of presentation. He's very quick. Every time anyone mentions anything, he's like, "Well, this, well, that," and so, and that's what gave me that feeling. If he's like very defensive, and also, yeah, they've been slighted, they've been feeling alone, and so that's understandable. But at one point. When um, Aragorn's starting to tell his story about, oh, shoot, where's the page? He, he at some point says, um, well, you know, anybody who's been hanging out next to Mordor has had plenty of stories to tell. We don't need to worry about that. Here's what happened. I brought Gollum back and left him with the elves. Moving on. Mm. And that's real different from Boromir, who's standing proud and tall and saying, well, in the land of Gondor, we've been doing this. Every time he gets a chance. You know, it, it it strikes me now that I think about it a little more. I mean, I've been thinking about what the the analog in, in our world for the ring is. I, mm-hmm. I think I've got it nailed, sort of. Not exactly, <laughs> but um, it's nuclear weapons, right? It's nuclear weapons. The The thing is, is we can make more nuclear weapons. Uh, they, they can't seem to make any more rings. Um, so it's like... A nuclear weapon, or something sure. like that, or the launch codes for the nuclear weapons <laughs> is what is what Bilbo's or uh, yeah is, is what Frodo's now carrying, right? He's got the launch codes. So if he destroys the launch codes, nobody can uh, nuke it out. We just uh, regular style, right? But That's no matter who gets them, um, they're going to turn in. They're going to turn evil because of the too much power thing. Mm-hmm. And the temptation. And it, 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 now that we think about how, you know, Mordor is, you know, it's the Nazis, it's the, the Japanese uh, invading China, right? It's like Gondor is Russia. And they're saying, you know, so, you, so Americans, you've been working on this nuclear weapon thing um, and you're not going to use it? You're going to destroy it? Right. Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
we will use it for good. Just give it to us. You don't want to use it? That's fine. We'll use it. Right? That that fits quite well, I think. And um, the interesting thing to me is I was thinking about if this analog is work works is um, countries-wise, Canada is a hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason Canada is a hobbit is it's one of the few countries in, in on the area of the earth that I know about anyways, that has refused nuclear weapons. When, when the United States was, you know, arming up in the 50s, uh, they tried to sell Canada Bullmark missiles, which were a short-range nuclear weapon system to defend, uh, you know, NORAD against Russia. And Canada signed up for everything, but when we got our Bullmark missiles, we refused the, the, the tips. <laughs> which oh, were the heart. nuclear weapons on it. And that's a very strange thing to do, considering that so many countries, especially the, you know, in England got it, made its own, right? It didn't get them from the United States. Russia stole the plans and made their own. Israel made some. Pakistan now, India and South Africa, France, right? Everybody, everybody wants them. And, it's very rare to have the somehow, I don't know, the smallness of a hobbit and not want to have massive power. And I just, I think there's something very interesting about that. There's a lot of uh, choice scenes in this book. And there's also, there's a lot in the first book, but I think there's even more in this one, right? Right at the end, there's a choice scene. There's also a choice scene in, in uh, Rivendell. There's a choice scene on the bridge in uh, Kazadum, right? Yeah, and they each of the individuals are offered choices in Lothlorien, mm-hmm. if that's yeah, how that's, you say it. Yeah, that's a yeah. And um, I was thinking about that because I was thinking we see so many choices offered here because this is really the make or break. Are they going to actually take the ring? Are they going to have the right intentions? Who's going to go where? Um, and... I was thinking it kind of is analogous to Saruman's robe. You know, mm. the quest the robe of all colors? is yeah. the white robe. But when you look at it, there's all these colors. And they say, well, you know, if you if you take something apart to see what it is, it isn't. Um, you left the path of wisdom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've left the path of wisdom. And all these different choices are, are you staying on the path of wisdom or are you breaking it? Mm-hmm. I also think um, um, there's a great debate short debate between Elrond and Gimli where <laughs> Elrond is like, and I'm not asking you to swear any oaths, and Gimli's like, well, wait a minute, oaths are a good <laughs> thing, right? They strengthen the heart and Elrond's like, well, they might break your heart too if you if you can't uphold it. And he's very, um, takes kind of a counterintuitive approach to that, but I think it's, it's mm-hmm. obviously it's, it's the right approach and I think it's for exactly exactly the reason that 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 you say it's it's kind of like they limit choice yeah. yeah i don't i don't know who says this but even the wise can't see all ends um one of the characters says that at one point gandalf or elrond it's gandalf and it's he's gandalf. talking about what i was think just thinking when you said that which is they include pippin and mary instead of like glorfindel Right, because he's like it's it's counterintuitive again, and so many counterintuitive choices are the right things all the way through. That it, friendship may be more important than strength here or wisdom. Yeah, I was I was explaining this book 
to one of my students trying to get him to, you know, re- read a book. And I said, you know, you're <laughs> right, right at the right age for this book. You'll really like it. And he says, well, tell me what it's about. So I started explaining oh. to it. And, and he was trying to anticipate, you know, as you do when you're hearing the mm. plot for things. He was trying to anticipate things. And he's, so I say, so there's this ring, right? And, and uh, there's, the main character has to blah, blah, blah. And every time he goes to guess what oh. is going to happen, he's wrong. And he's, it's the opposite, right? He's not a big, strong guy. <laughs> he's oh, a yeah. small, little guy. <laughs> Right, he's the least powerful guy in the land, and he's like gets a curious look on his face, like what? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, that's the thing is, right? They send the the least powerful person they can find into, uh, you know, Nazi Germany to destroy the launch codes right in Hitler's, you know, bunker. (laughs) Yeah, not to use them, but to get rid of them so no one can ever have them. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, they sent him, but um, they didn't choose him. Yeah, that's like, right. They, they that's actually, the thing. They didn't send him. Right? The, the, the ring sent him. Well, or, he sent know. himself, right? Yeah, he, he sent, sent himself. himself. He yeah. volunteers, right? First, first, uh, first Bilbo volunteers. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah but he doesn't, was, he doesn't expect like, anyone. Well, if I start oh, this, where I better go what, finish it. And, you know. Yeah, that's I, where we see lunchtime. It says the noon bell rang. Well, everybody's <laughs> thinking about what do we do. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> it's recess, everybody outside. But wow. that was a great, such a great scene where it says no one's looking at Frodo. Everybody's just thinking. And it says a great dread fell on him as if he was awaiting the pronouncement of some doom that he had long foreseen and vainly hoped might after all never be spoken. An overwhelming longing to rest and remain at peace by Bilbo's side in Rivendell filled all his heart. At last, with an effort, he spoke and wondered to hear his own words as if some other will was using his small voice. I will take the ring, he said, though I do not know the way. And that's that thing of where you know deep down what you should do, but you're really not thinking, you don't want to think about it because you're hoping you don't have to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, it's that thing we all understand that feeling. Well, he has that again at the end of this. this uh, yeah. Book, right? He's got, mm-hmm. he, he, Sam says he's gone off to screw himself up, right? To, mm-hmm. to make the choice that needs to be made that he's already made, but hasn't got the courage to, to do. And I, I think it's really fascinating the way, you know, we talked about the parallelisms in the first book and in it, they're here too with Boromir kind of taking the role of, of Bilbo in that he's, you know, he's got to see that ring and it's, 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 it's compelling to say, you know, the ring is controlling Boromir because he's, we hear his argument, right? He comes there, oh, I, I'm here to defend you from any orcs that might be nearby. And then, can I just see it? <laughs> and then, yeah. um, you know, it's such a little thing to be worried about. I mean, uh, you know, if it's too much for you to make the decision, why don't you just tell the others that I took it from you? In fact, why don't I just take it from you, right? <laughs> Let's make it true. <laughs> yeah. That, that. We can see his thought processes happening. And when he, I think that his remorse is genuine when Mm -hmm. he, you know, he's, I think so too. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, he can see what he's done. 
Um, but I still don't trust him, even though his remorse is genuine. You know, <laughs> if, Bill, if Frodo took the ring off right then and said, oh, it's okay, bud, don't worry about it. Uh, I won't tell the others. I think he'd just grab that ring again. Well, it's like an I addict, mean, right? I mean, you, you recovering addict, you, you help them and you you want to believe them and everything, but you also don't like give them access to your house and your bank account. Right, you know? right. Yeah, well, he has been coveting it the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you notice at the very beginning with Boromir when um, when when they were in, when the council was introducing everybody, he said, um, "Here's Frodo, son of Drogo, Gimli, and his sitting beside his father, Glowin, Legolas, messenger from his father, Theoden, king of elves, and here is Boromir, a man from the south." Right. <laughs> like, well, you know, like, oh yeah, they just set him up like. Right from there. Later, he says he's this. He says I am the son of a steward. Later, but it's not how he's introduced. Mm. Interesting. Well, and his and when you were talking about parallels, and this whole book has, it's it starts to really make you aware of Tolkien. Never leaves us with just one thing to think about. We always have two or more contrasts. Mm-hmm. And so you've got Boromir, and you're seeing his whole thought process. The other person who's been tempted and thought about the ring for a long time is, of course, Galadriel. Mm-hmm. And oh, she tells us, I've thought for a really long time about what would I do. And so she's been thinking about it so long, you kind of get the feeling that she's kind of, oh, and now here's my chance, but I've luckily already come to terms with this. I don't know. I think she, I don't know if she came into terms I, I, at that I, moment. I felt like she did, but she maybe says, not. She says, um, "I passed the test." Right? Yeah, I passed the test. I passed the test. And in the audio drama, they do a really good job of showing that menace coming out of mm-hmm. those words. Like she is, "I will be, I will be great and terrible." Right? It's like, right. oh damn! I was. She was bigger than anything he could imagine. Yeah, that's something Tolkien does a lot. Where they, you know, when somebody is becoming more magical or more powerful. They, they grow in size. Well, it's how you see them. It's what you perceive. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's like that mountain. Uh, what's it called again? Correct. Karadharas, yeah. Karadharas, right. Karadharas is, it's like it's alive, right? It's fighting them. It yeah, want well, it is. You get the feeling it's an it's its own entity. That's how and they talk about it, right? It's yeah, a, it's, a, it's a living being. It's a, it even has a gender, right? Well, and the thing too is, she does pass the test at that point. You're right. I guess the thing I had thought about was that she had thought about everything so long. She'd kind of gone, "No, I wouldn't do it." But now here she is presented with it. So it's like, are you really going to do what you thought? I guess I thought because she had been thinking about it so long and I'll do this and I do that and I do this. I'd set myself up as a a queen and I would be beautiful and terrible as the morning and the night and blah, 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 blah. And but she'd already kind of been thinking about it and going, no, no, I wouldn't do it. But here you are. Mm -hmm. Will you really not do it? Whereas Bormir is in the thrall of I'm just now thinking about it because he would set himself up as a king. He'd be the the next king. Everybody will come to me. We'll beat Mordor, and then I, I, there's something very you know? very interesting about choice. I mean, this whole book, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. whole Lord of the Rings, is about choice in some ways. Because when Galadriel's offering people a chance to mm-hmm. look at her mirror, right? 
Right. She says, well, what do you think I should do? Should I look in the mirror? And she's like, I don't want to tell you what, yeah. what I don't want to give you counsel on this. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look, you might see something that's real. You might see something from the future or from the past, or it might be just be a fantasy, <laughs> but it's your choice. So in that situation, yeah. uh, the default is actually to look because she gave you the offer of having to look. So it's not like she isn't, uh, I mean, we, we she is counseling you by giving you an option. And, and she does say, I think you're strong enough right. to do this. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, is, you know, ultimately, uh, she is not in control of their bodies. So if they go over and look, uh, you know, the thing is, is choice is very mysterious. And, you know, the more we do brain research on what's going on when we think we're making choices, the more clear it becomes that, the the part of our brain that thinks us thinks that we just made a choice is actually just being informed by other parts of our yeah. brain that you know, you, I mean, you know me I, I think Tolkien's he's he's playing with the fact that choice is very mysterious it could be that um that she wanted him to look in the mirror to see what he would see in terms of like she if she hadn't actually made the choice for herself yet mm-hmm. to see what he was made of like mm. you know he saw the eye he saw her ring and and to assess for herself whether she thought he really could follow mm. through she is some sort of oracle right i mean uh, when i read this book the first time the first Mind time and maybe the second time i completely forgot about her husband by the way i was looking into him um, and he has an ancestor that uh, is unbelievably named Teleporno. This is more proof that Tolkien really didn't care about any other thing than making the languages because once he gets the words going, you know, like his name's, name Celeborn just means like silver tree or something, yeah. right? Um, I, I guess he could choose to have a character, you know, not named Teleporno, <laughs> character of a wife. Well, that was before teleportation and porno. Yeah, he didn't see what he's making. Yeah, television and por- pornography. Yeah, exactly. They didn't. In any case, it. I'm just saying, Celeborn is like he's there, but he's wrong about everything, right? You know, some some guard tells him, "Hey, these guys just showed up," and Galadriel's like, "No, I know what's going. Don't worry about it, hubby. It's cool. It, yeah, they're cool. Right? Yeah, it was she knows of- everything. She's some sort of uh, oracle. She can see into people's minds. She can mm-hmm. also she has this mirror thing. She's she's the one who wears the ring in the family, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in this book of white men, we actually get a a powerful woman who's you know, powerful, but in the way that a woman arguably would be powerful, that would be, you know, superior to male ideas of power, which is she's powerful by dint of her you know, foresight and mercy and acceptance and, and all mm. of those things. And so I, I really like, I like that. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Well, I was reading something that, uh, I guess I was finishing up Tolkien's letters and, um, he somebody had written to him saying since he was catholic saying didn't you model her on mary the virgin mary mm. because well that might have influenced me just in terms of how i think of mary he goes but no he goes yeah. she's for one thing she's a penitent based on 
the Silmarillion stuff, you know, she made some wrong choices herself and she's right now doing penance and he goes, by virtue of her choice of rejecting the ring, she then can go into the West. He said, so she's got her own path that she's on and she's not modeled on anybody like that. But I, I thought, oh, that's interesting that thinking of what you just said, Seth, about, you know, the foresight, the wisdom, she's pretty gentle. She's not forcing people to do anything, even though she does have this power. And I was like, oh, that's, I never would have thought of Mary that way. But, you know, that is how a lot of Catholics would think of her. Um, it give her a, a lot more credit than, you know, the regular culture gives her. There's a, yeah. there's a very, very powerful scene when she stares into the eyes of all the nine <laughs> guys. And who who are the two that can resist her for a while? Is, uh, one is Aragorn and the other is who? Gandalf, maybe? I can't remember. In any case, uh, Boromir doesn't last at all. Right? Gandalf's gone by this Well, point. Gandalf's not there. Yeah. Oh, so. right. uh, <laughs> yeah, I, can't I don't remember. know. It's Aragorn and maybe the elf... Uh, Legolas. Legolas, yeah. yeah. Um, all the the hobbits there, sh- the little shy and meek, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think Boromir, he's like, this is bullshit, right? And he doesn't right? like right? the question yeah. he's being asked. Um, and that question is, yeah, are you, what 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 are you about? What what are you going to do? What what's your what's your role in all this? And it's curious because why is she doing that? Is she doing it for her own curiosity or is she doing it to help them know themselves? Well, she did tell Frodo, you passed my, uh, my whatever she called it, test it's later. The, it's the TSA. It's, um, it's going through the thing <laughs> wanted at the airport. expression. So good. If you yawn too much, you're going to get... Uh, but what did Frodo say? Did they, they didn't say, did they? When no. I mean, Sam said I, I saw the, the Shire or, or I, I felt like home or something. I wanted to go home. But Frodo just said, I, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I think he might talk about it in later books. I don't remember. Oh, there you go. Well, <laughs> I mean, no, I can't remember because my impression was it was what would any ring bearer be asked? Do you want to use it? Mm-hmm, Do you but want he'd to keep it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, she's got a ring. She knows how it works. At this um, point in this, at this point in the story, though, she is, she hasn't made her her own choice, right? No, but I was so just it's almost she, like changing the competition, right? What, because I don't think she was actually asking the question. I think she was seeing what is your deepest desire, and would you give everybody up for it? I mean, I think yeah, she was yeah. just. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Would the choice sacrifice? thing again of you look deep in your, she's kind of like just eliciting what's your deepest desire. And now what will you do? And again, she's not forcing you, but it's that mirror, which is a different sort of, yeah, it's the kind that we all have is if we're going to be completely honest with ourselves, what's the thing that you talk way down that you might do the wrong thing? If you don't ever think about it, you're not prepared. It's kind of like her, I guess. When she says, I really thought about what would I do if I got the ring. Well, if you never, ever, ever consider what is that deep thing, you're not prepared at all to fight it. I mean, yeah. you don't want to dwell on it, you know, because then you tempt yourself. I mean, it's a, it's a delicate line. I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, that, yeah, because that's what happened to Saruman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Studied the enemy too deeply. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's all, uh, if you look at it not as a power of... Um, 
of you know dest- destructive power, you know, power to change the world for good by smiting your enemies. You look at it just as a creative power. It, it also is kind of like you know, what would you do if you won the lottery, sort of thing, right? right. <laughs> a lot of people can't resist the temptation of the dream for that. Right. That's why the you know the lottery prizes get so big is because they're taking tons of people's money to make the lottery prize bigger. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So there's a there's a wisdom going on there, but the difference is, uh, you know, uh, I don't ask myself this question: What would I do if I won a billion dollars? Because I I don't think that it's very likely. But if somebody you know is walking around with a billion dollars in their pocket, and I think they're a fool. I would be a hell of a lot more tempted than uh, if, you know, it's just, well, you know, if you base your money, you get to your chances yeah. sort of thing. So when- Which is why Boromir's never thought about it, but she has, I guess. Yeah. He's and- just come into, he's just won the billion dollars, possibly. Right. And you're going to throw that billion dollars in, in a... In a <laughs> volcano, yeah. uh, we could use that money for good. Yeah, you're gonna keep living in your little house. What's wrong with you, that, man? Yeah, you might say that money's dirty, but it, money's money, right? Right. It goes back to that. Her looking, going, what's deep in your heart? What are your intentions to things? And that's what the choices that they're continually given show their inner intentions. Eventually, goes, you know, Boromir's weak in a way. He's strong physically. He's very courageous. But he's also weak, and so think how do you? Sorry, no, go ahead. I was. It just really makes me think of like Eisenhower's, you know, uh, military-industrial complex speech when he's he's on his way out of office as president. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, beware of the military-industrial complex. They're they're going to make us do all sorts of horrible things now that we've given them so much money. We've get, got them trained into this. We might not be able to mm-hmm. step back from the brink, right? It's, it's, Gandalf, is that you? Yeah. <laughs> Gandalf is Eisenhower. I never or, yeah. that. Or he's he's the well, dude. Who cracks the code? Who's who's the dude who <laughs> cut the ring off of uh, Seth? You'll know this. Isildur. The ring off. Isildur. Yeah, Isildur's bane. Right. Yeah. Okay. So Isildur is he's more like Isildur because he's won the war, right? And he's he he want, he want, he warns people. You know this thing's dangerous, but. He doesn't give it up voluntarily, even himself. No, and it's cut off his hand. Mm-hmm. Isildur mm-hmm. is interesting. That temptation's too much. And I think to defend Boromir a little bit from a from a modern perspective, you can you can see why Boromir and other people of Minas Tirith are are frustrated because Isildur is kind of the the last king, if I remember right, who's actually the the king, and and right. things kind of go south from there. And the kings, the line of kings, go into hiding, and there are these stewards who are going to take over Minas Tirith and and kind of run things. And I don't know if my impression is that they're only supposed to run things for a little while, but here they are running things <laughs> hundreds of years later, and you know they're they're um, they're in royalty and everything, but actually yeah, and right? so it's like and then. And all of a sudden, this this guy in in dirty clothes shows up at at the Council of Elrond, <laughs> and and Boromir's like, "Wait, wait, we've been. This is a city that I was born yeah. in. I <laughs> I've fought for, and now you're going to come take it over. And I, I and I get what Tolkien's doing symbolically in in the story, but I can I can definitely see his perspective. 
Well, that's why I guess uh, our our friend Aragorn is so conciliatory towards Boromir. You know, he's he doesn't say, "Yeah, you suck." Um, yeah. Even even though he probably thinks he does suck, because you know, uh, yeah, that slight with Elrond not giving his you know father's name. I mean, there's there's something. Uh, you know who's who's definitely excluded from the meeting, but shows up again is Sam, right? Just like in the first book, <laughs> he's, yeah. he, Gandalf and uh, Frodo are having some deep conference over the fireplace, right? And then who's who's out, outside the window listening in? <laughs> Sam <laughs> doesn't know his place. They all say these highborn people, and the, the, you know they're all lords and ladies, right? They're all highborn. Right. Even Gimli, you know, he's the son of a. Of a lord from, you know, some mountain somewhere. He's Gloin's son. Right, Gloin. Who was on the original quest. They're all sort of, you know, high place, rich, rich uh, people with, you know, family baggage that makes them powerful and wise. And yet, yeah, this steward son doesn't even get his, his father's name. Well, and that's one thing I liked that they did in the movie where they put that little touch where he's playing or is he teaching or just playing with Merry and Pippin for a moment before they have to go into Moria. And um, and it shows him being a little nicer. You have a little sympathy to the good side of him, which as we go on through this huge book... We we get a lot more understanding to why Boromir is the way he is, but we just get in the book. We just get him shown this way. And I notice we haven't, yeah, we haven't really talked about Moria yet, and I want to talk about Moria. Um, Who doesn't want to talk about Moria. I also wanted to mention that um, if you're in Middle Earth, uh, there's two great bed and breakfasts. One is in Rivendell. <laughs> the other one is in Lothlorien. Um, yeah. Rivendell, well, they'll let you stay for a long time. Oh, yeah. Lothlorien, um, you don't know how long still. you stay. Yeah, Lothlorien, you really don't know how long you stay. Yeah. You don't know how long you stay, but at the end, you get a whole bunch of great parting gifts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, she prepped and thought about gifts for everybody except for Gimli, right? Gimli's like, damn, I don't know what to give a dwarf. Well, she gives him choice, <laughs> essentially. Um, Again, right. yeah. We've been talking about yeah, choice. Yeah, he gets That's to what choose she, yeah. his party gift. And um, instead of, he asks for one hair, right? And she gives mm-hmm. him three. Yeah. Yeah. Which and, yeah. And she says something, too, doesn't she? Like, um, she she follows it up with good wishes with that with the hair. Oh yes, yeah. she, she's saying you know you're never let it be said again that dwarfs are you know better with their hands than with their yeah yeah speech. you will have yeah. you may have all the riches you wish but you won't care about them right like yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah the gold will have no mastery over you that's yeah right. that's the classic uh, anti you know Viking uh, horde mentality <laughs> yes Tolkien is really yeah. Good. And I, I, I think this is a good point to, you know, reconnect it to, to the Viking sagas, right? Which is what, uh, yeah, which is what Tolkien <laughs> is working with. And I was thinking about, you know, I, I assume nobody again watched the Fellowship of the Ring movie, right? No, no, not recently. Yeah. Okay, so I was thinking there is an adaptation, kind of, in the same way that the Viking, uh, Viking sagas are. You know, adapted into this. Uh, I was reading one of the books. I was reading uh, suggested that you know this is Tolkien's take on modernizing the Viking sagas and the 
the people and the thought processes of the of the you know Beowulfian sort of era, and um, and I was thinking so if we wanted to ha- see an adaptation that uh, I think the audio drama is very you know very faithful, but there's another thing that I think is really cool and you guys should check out if you haven't already that is uh, Babylon Five. In Babylon Five, the first season is pretty pretty rough, but after the first season ends. Uh, the second season and the third season are perhaps the best television science fiction I've seen, which is pretty impressive because I've seen everything. <laughs> uh, uh, first season's pretty rough. Fifth season's a bit rough, but seasons two, three, and four are amazing. And uh, one of the things that happens in this series is that the uh, writer, James, he writes every episode between season two and season four. Uh, which is sixty six episodes i think he he wrote some other ones as well, but it's you know it's his show, but he 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 had guest writers in for a lot of the other ones but um for sixty six of the five seasons uh, sixty six episodes of the five seasons it was him straight through, and it's kind of him reworking the Lord of the Rings there's um these bad guys called the shadow um there's a uh, season two, episode 22. It's called Casa Doom. It's set <laughs> on a planet um, of the bad guys, the shadows. Um, okay. it's, not, it's not Mordor exactly, although there's a guy named Morden who works for them. <laughs> and he was having fun. Absolutely. And in that, in that um, final episode, uh, Sheridan, the main character after the beginning of the second season, uh, he has a Gandalf scene. Uh, we've got the bridge, right? Well, uh, Sheridan's got this this plan to destroy uh, the Shadow's threat, and it involves him killing himself by having, being at the center of a nuclear explosion. But just as the ship that's coming down with the nuclear explosion to blow up the bad guys is coming, he steps off the balcony of this massive chasm that goes deep into the planet of Kazadum. Uh-huh. And we presume he dies, just as we presume Gandalf dies. Right. Um, Are they, you ruining this for everyone? I'm <laughs> encouraging you to go watch it. It's amazing. Who hasn't seen it? <laughs> and uh, later on in subsequent seasons, season three, uh, we meet a character named Lorian who has something much to do with, with it's a very, if, I mean, uh, there's also, you know, there's tons of other references like, um, okay, I'm going to have to watch it. Alfred Bester. There's a character named Alfred Bester, who is a telepath. That's great. Working for the Psychor, which is a, of course. Exactly right. So if you, all right, I'll watch it. You I've def- never watched it. The I'll thing is, it. is this first season is incredibly rough. Okay. They've got their equivalent of elves, which are, uh, you know, aliens, but they're elves, basically. And there's the forces of light and darkness. And get this, after the third season, or beginning of the third season, we start hearing about these guys called rangers. Oh, boy. I want to see them. Totally. So the thing is, is I, I was stoked for it when these things started happening, right? And I just couldn't believe that it was so well done. I mean, I, I don't think it's as 
great as the Lord of the Rings, the book itself. But for television, science fiction, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Mm, okay. So you could watch that, and it wouldn't ruin anything in the Lord of the Rings because it's completely different, right? It just uses a lot of references and mm-hmm. um, gives you – it really gives – you know, this is an homage, I guess, to – Yeah. It's not an adaptation, but it's so – so much about the feeling associated with a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, what did we think of the classic dungeon crawl of uh, (laughs) the D and D style, actual, uh, Moria, AKA the doom. Pippin failed his D 20 on the well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just wanted to say that that somebody threw a rock in the water and it caused a problem. Right, well, it was yep. in the Boromir book. the first time, right? Yeah, Boromir, and yeah. and in the lake. Check out that Lovecraftian monster that crawls. That's up. what oh, I yeah. was gonna say. Is the tentacle, but it's got like fingers on the end That's of it and everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the Barrow Whites again. Mm. Super creepy. Totally. I love it. We never see what they're attached to either, right? No. Yeah. But it was also it was, it was like luminous green or something. It was lime green. Yeah. In my and then it shuts them in. Instead of coming in and trying to yeah. get them, it just shuts the That's doors. Been... And like my work here is done. Yeah, it's... yeah. How did uh, how did gotcha. Gollum get in there? Huh? Oh, that's a good question. I think oh, that's a good question. Oh, it is. Maybe he climbed climbed in through one of those uh, holes in the the skylights. I mean, he lived there. Down might there might be other ways in that we don't know. I don't yeah. know. He he seems to find his way in all kinds of places. That he, he did spend a thousand years getting into mountains. Because right? Moria is connected. It's part of the as far as I can oh, understand. It's, it's part of that net, the same network of the Misty Mountains. Yeah, it's in the Misty Mountains that we absolutely. see in the in the first book. So yeah, he probably knows like, like, oh, that one's closed off. I'll just go use this little air yeah. vent over here. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and now we think about it, and it all seems so familiar, like you're saying Dungeon Crawl, D&D style, but this is what inspired all that stuff. That's the thing. Absolutely. I can't imagine reading this in a world where it first came out and none of that stuff existed. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. How creepy and exciting that would have been. I mean, it's pretty creepy and exciting right in the anyway. Title, but- Dungeons and Dragons. That's that's book two and book uh, and The Hobbit, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, oh! I didn't realize they. They also had in the very first edition of of the Lord of uh, not the Lord of Things in Dungeons and Dragons. They were called Hobbits, and then I guess the Tolkien estate got really snippety about it. And then turns out that actually Hobbit was not invented by Tolkien. Um, It's just you know he he popularized it. Um, But halfling, which is mentioned in Lord of the Rings, it's what Boromir calls. The hobbits, right? Mm-hmm. That's what. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the equivalent race in Dungeons of Dragons today. That's yeah. what they're okay. called. But really, I can get back to the Hobbit now if they wanted. Another similar similar incident like that in um, in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, licensing problems is in the first. Uh, there's a book called Deities and Demigods, which is very precious tome that I own. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a uh, my precious. Um, it's, it's a very precious tome, and it ha- in the first edition it has uh, lots of different kinds of pantheons, and one of them is the Lovecraftian pantheon, oh, or cool. mythos as it's called. Huh. And it was pulled. They they said, "Oh, you don't have the license for copyrighted or something." Of course, it's not, 
and it wasn't, but that's what they were saying, so they didn't fight it. So if you track down subsequent editions, um, they don't have the Lovecraftian mythos against uh, why it's so precious. is that It has content yeah. not in the other books. You have the hidden message written that you have uh, to burn through to find. Right. <laughs> and it's got some pretty great illustrations, too. Yeah, my impression um, of Lovecraft estate is they didn't really fight copyright things like that. There is, there wasn't really a I Lovecraft so. estate. I mean, he he tried to assign it to a friend of his. Not that we should get into Lovecraft yeah. too much, but <laughs> considering that you know that's what every other podcast we do is about, <laughs> <laughs> or Philip K. Dick, yeah, one yeah, or the other, one or the other. Although right now I, I I've I've just found a book of um, myths uh, retold by. Nathaniel Hawthorne, then that looks pretty great. Oh, wow. Uh, really? But we shall not get too deep into that. Cool so that? let's let's uh, just map over the events and see what we've missed, right? So we started in Rivendell uh, in the recovery mode. They go on the, the climb up the mountain. They come down off the mountain, go into Moria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, more the interesting thing is... there is that Frodo is the, there's a, there's a vote, there's sort of a deadlock as to which way they're going to go, right? And right. Frodo essentially throws his vote with Gandalf and going through the mines. Yeah, I mean, who who isn't going to vote with Gandalf, right? Well, apparently, well, well, they, other people. They say, yeah, let's wait till, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they say, let's wait till morning, and then the wolves decide it. Yeah, the wolves. Yeah, right. Right. wolves. Yeah. But also, what's I love interesting about that is Aragorn and Gandalf are fighting, and the whole time Aragorn keeps going, "I'm not worried about us. I just have this feeling you're not going to do well there. Yeah. I just have a terrible feeling." Yeah, there's a and again, there's, so it's yeah, yeah kind of interesting. There's also a previous echo of that in in back in the last homely house in Rivendell. Elrond says something just about like that as well. He says, maybe oh. this will be your last adventure. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And it's like, Gandalf doesn't like, you know, yeah. oh, no, you're wrong. I'm, I'm, I got plenty of years left in me. <laughs> he definitely <laughs> says something like, yeah. He doesn't say anything to respond to it. But yeah, it's, it's interesting that, because if, if it is about choice and not about, you know, fate, um, this... We get a lot of you know dreams that tell the future for a book mm-hmm. that's about choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yeah. know the the Viking well, people who this is inspired by. You know they were much more. You know it's all in the hands of the gods. You don't really have yeah. a choice, right? I, I think there's a lot of fate in it as well, though. Like again, they say uh, Elrond says you've come. You have come here and are here met in the very nick of time by chances it may seem, yet it is not so. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, chance still is playing, is obliquely mentioned to like by that or, um, and you see it kind of come out a little bit more when it's not so much chance, I guess, but when, skipping ahead, uh, Frodo is sitting on that high chair. And he's in the grip of Sauron's eye. Mm-hmm. And then it says, <clears throat> the two powers are, you know, someone's like, take it off, you fool, take it off, which sounds like <laughs> Gandalf, the way Gandalf mm-hmm. talks. And, um, but he's in the grip of him, and then he's released. He's left to make his own choice. But you can see there is something besides Sauron. You don't know what it is. Yeah. And so, 
Is that what's leading chance? We don't know. Is that what's putting the good opportunities? But their choices are still what matter. So it's an interesting contrast, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's happening in in like at that moment when when he's wearing the ring and and it's that he's hearing, take it off, take it off, take it off. And then the two powers strove in him for a moment, perfectly balanced between their piercing points. He writhed, tormented. Suddenly he was aware of himself again. Neither the voice nor the eye free to choose. And with one remaining instant, he took it off. Yeah, the, yeah. the eye is Sauron and the voice is Saruman, right? No. No? I the, we don't know say who the that. voice We is. didn't know who the voice is. It's in his head. Yeah, you, you, you don't know. The voice is, is someone or something or... I kind of always assumed it was chance, if chance you call it. It was because he has the ring on, he's more in tune with all kinds of stuff. Just like he's a vessel for yeah. the this whole uh, tug of war. Well, Gandalf At that moment, vessel. although he's still got to make his own choice. Oh, I'm sorry, Seth, go on. I was just gonna, the word vessel keyed me into, I was going to mention this earlier too, in the, in the House of Elrond, um, Gandalf is looking at Frodo lying there, and he, he says he looks mostly peaceful, except there's a sort of faint translucency about his um, left hand where he was wounded, and Gandalf wonders what will become of him, and he says something like, maybe he'll become a clear vessel filled with light for those ah. to see who can, mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's this... It's, then he, he later receives as a gift a clear vessel from Galadriel, right. Right. filled with light. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a symbol for himself. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, he may become like a glass filled with a clear light for eyes to see that can, which is like the vial, file, I guess, that he's given of starlight. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, there's there's actually quite a bit of star references in this this particular book. I don't remember them being in book one, but Mm -hmm. there's a star on the door uh, into Khazad-dûm. All right. Um, we get the whole Elbereth thing, which is... Yeah, is Galadriel's ring is a star. Yeah, her ring. Um, and I think there's a an actual star mentioned, yeah, other than in the vial, or file, however you pronounce it. They're very important <laughs> to the elves. Yeah, it's it's uh, the light of the light of the stars in that Elbereth Gilthoniel song, I think. The I've moon's seen. also mentioned. Um, so yeah, it's, maybe this is the astronomy uh, astronomy section of the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're out in the country; they need those stars. I think it was it, it, it was something like uh, the mood was not yet stained. Oh, I think that's what. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, and then Sam's using the moon later because he's <laughs> like, "Wait, how long were we in there? Because the moon's weird." Mm. That's yeah, so that's the practical use again. Sam they- though is very practical. How long were they in there? Wasn't it something like a month? Wow. Or a yeah. little bit more than a month? Wow. It's a lot of whey bread. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's um, the thing, and I know this is kind of beside the point, but when you're talking about it being the second best bed and breakfast, right. I was thinking about how, again, you get some of the way that Tolkien can convey a sense of place that even is something it almost carries you beyond what you can imagine where he's talking about how he saw no color, but those he knew gold and white and blue and green, but they were fresh and poignant Mm. as if he had at that moment first perceived them and made for them names new and wonderful. And then a little bit later, there was a bit that I don't remember having noticed before, but I had marked it where it says he touches the trees getting ready to climb up 
behind Haldir, and he says, he laid his hand upon the tree beside the ladder. Never before had he been so suddenly and so keenly aware of the feel and texture of a tree's skin and of the life within it. Mm. He felt a delight in wood and the touch of it, neither as forester nor as carpenter. It was the delight of the itself. So the whole place is just almost transparent to everybody in it. I mean, and of course, Tolkien loved trees, but (laughs) still, it's that whole feeling of this is when you find out it's kind of outside of time because of the power of the ring, of um, uh, Galadriel's ring, then you kind of go, wow, this is like Eden. I mean, for lack of a better term, I don't know the Silmarillion words, but, you know, it's that first fresh way it was supposed to be mm-hmm. it's a beautiful way of he he conveys it so wonderfully i thought well sam mm-hmm. sam talks about i think it's you know sam really wants to see elf magic and right. and they get to they get to lothlorien which is like elf elf york city you know it's like it's like the <laughs> the place to be if you want to see some elf magic i guess and he's surprised because it's not you know whiz bang flashy stuff like he's expecting Mostly, although he's not too happy with the mirror after he sees that, but mostly he describes it as something like being the feeling of being at home and on the on a holiday at the same time. So that bed and, bed and breakfast thing, you know, really works oh, yeah. works well. But it's it's the kind of magic that makes this work in a way that all the Tolkien knockoffs don't, because they they don't get this sense of magic as something that that permeates you on a more existential level i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's and just that, just better at at transporting us to a, a, a secondary world well and that's why the elves uh, there aren't there a couple of different times in this very book where they go you well this is i guess what you call magic though i never understand what that word really means <laughs> yeah well yeah. let me yeah, it's like i've got a quote here you're making it separate I, I tweeted a joke about this earlier in the week oh. um and i just thought it was a great it couple of lines i missed it Um, i didn't i didn't direct it at you guys that's why sorry um so they they get their honey cakes uh sorry not their honey cakes their lembas right um and then uh gimli says these are better than what the bjornings make those honey cakes they make Uh, the bjornings are the uh, bear people um get it bears honey it's funny (laughs) bjorn yeah bjorn means bear in old english that is, from the hobbit yeah. right and uh i i guess since i mentioned it earlier i would just tell you that the cool thing about beowulf's name is beowulf means bee wolf which is a an old joke for I, seth knows this uh an old joke for bear his his name is bear you wolf a, i love that but, yes he hunts bees <laughs> i love it oh hilarious okay so <laughs> No wonder Tolkien loved those people. That's right. So here's the, a little section. Uh, they get the honey, the lembast, and then he says, or it says, The elves next unwrapped and gave each of the company the clothes they had brought. For each had provided a hood and cloak made according to his size of light but warm silken stuff. Uh, it's the actual word, stuff. that Galahadrim wove. It is hard to say what the color were. they were. Gray to... With the hue of twilight under the trees, they seemed to be. And yet, if they were moved or set in another light, they were green as shadowed leaves, or brown as fallow fields by night. 
dusk silver as water under the stars. Each cloak was fastened about the neck with a brooch like a green leaf veined with silver. And then Pippin asks, are these magic cloaks? Um, <laughs> looking at them with wonder. And then the elf says, I do not know what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. They are fair garments and the web is good for it was made in this land. <laughs> Not to brag or anything. Yeah. They are elvish robes, certainly, if that is what you mean. Leaf and branch, water and stone, they have the hue and beauty of all these things under the twilight of Lorien that we love. For we put the thought of all that we love into all that we make. Yet they are garments, not armor, and they will not tarnish after blade. Uh, they make a really big deal out of this in the movie, I guess, because you know yeah. it's a sort of a visible mm-hmm. um, thing. But uh, to me, I always pictured them as sort of like uh, camouflage, you know, uh, like. Yeah. But hmm. that's not exact. You know, what color are they? Well, they're whatever color you're needing to be there to hide from. And it's interesting because. Yeah. It's kind of like a cloak of invisibility, right? I was going to say, Which can makes... we do a Consumer Reports comparison between this and the invisibility <laughs> cloak in Harry Potter? Like, you know. well, <laughs> well, you know what this reminds me of? Like, uh, we know that the that the ring, the one ring is, is for power, but we don't, like, they, they say the other three rings that the elves have are for other things. Right. And healing. maybe this is, this, yeah, healing and, and learning, and, and maybe this is an example of that kind of other thing. Well, well yeah, certainly they're Galadriel not wove it with her ladies herself for them. So maybe they're not dangerous, right? See, the, no, not that. Not the dangerous. Ring at all. Is so dangerous, but it does the exact same thing as this, right? You put on the cloak, and you, you know, I, I guess yeah, you stop moving in the middle of a field, and suddenly, you know, you're you're hard to see. But if you have the ring on, you're impossible to see. And the the difference between the two is. Is uh, it's you know the invisibility itself is uh, sort of one aspect of I guess the ring's power, sort of the most basic level of the ring's power, but it's not the one you know it's not that you have a, a camouflage on that makes you uh, corrupt and dangerous exactly. I just thought it was interesting because they both do the same job, right? But that's sort of like the first that. step of that. And you know, they did lose their clothes earlier, but I, I thought they would have replaced them at uh, at uh, Elrond, Elrond's house. Maybe maybe they don't specialize in clothing. <laughs> <laughs> Just rope. <laughs> rope. <laughs> no, no, no. They get the rope here. That's right. Yeah, they get the. That the is. And it's made of elf hair, isn't it? Is that what they said? Uh, no, the bowstring is made of elf, oh, one right. elf oh, hair, and I'm like, wow, that must be amazing. Uh, right. Stuff. They, they say, oh, I can explain it to you, uh, but you don't have time. Right. I did love that. Oh, had we known you delighted in this craft, we would have taught you. And I'm like, oh, man. Mm-hmm. You had a month. And I also <laughs> did like the way they put it, if we'd known you delighted in this, I think they said craft, but it's like, you know, oh, yeah, so you can, you know, just something you love to do. Again, we really need some caravans moving some of these goods around because, I mean, that Lembas would totally sell everywhere, right? <laughs> it's better than the Bjorning stuff. Well, it did strike me this time. I was like, you know, we talked in the first of these books about the Shire is very isolated. Mm-hmm. Well, so is this place. Now, it's for a different reason, but it's still that you've only got a few people who can speak the common tongue, 
Um, and they're keeping something safe and precious that is safe and precious, but could it benefit everybody else? I mean, it's that mm. same question of, is it a good or bad thing that they're isolated? You you don't question it here like you do for the Shire, but mm. it's kind of interesting. Well, it seems they, they, they've hermetically sealed themselves off, right? They, <laughs> they, they are sending out scouts and stuff, but they are not – they're really – I mean – that that whole scene with Gimli in the oh, yeah. in the, the entrance, <laughs> the, right? It's yeah. almost like um, I, I I thought the solution to have everybody be blindfolded was a good one. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that was very. It was it was like it's it was it was like racism almost, right? <laughs> or nationalism, you know? It was like we have a, we don't like the Japanese. They invaded us a long time ago. Yeah, you can see it's nobody's perfect. Even though these people seem wonderful and all this stuff, they still have their blind spots. I would say because they're not willing to look into someone's heart. They're just like, oh, you're a dwarf, and ever since yeah. you guys woke that thing up in Moria, nope. We don't let dwarfs in here. Yeah, that's hmm. you are who you are. I get in the past, right? The the entrance gates yeah. is all. Elvish and Dwarvish together. It's also Aragorn's first like real test as a leader of the company. You know, after oh, yeah. after Gandalf is gone, I, I just kind of thought of that. But mm. he's the one who comes up with that solution, and so it, it bodes well for him as a king later. I think mm-hmm. that he can mm-hmm. come up with something like that. That because that's the sort of diplomatic solution that as a as a ruler, I imagine you you have to come up with pretty often. Oh, good one, because he's struggling later. You don't expect to see him struggling ever. And he's just like, oh, thank goodness the river's longer, because I still haven't figured out what to do. I want to get to this seat of power, and maybe that'll help me. And you think of him as being commanding, but he hasn't had to command a group before. And so this little one is kind of his testing ground to kind of just get his feet under him. I don't think he's commanding. I think he's just... He's he is uh, he's like a good leader. Well, right? he's, that's what I meant. Yeah. I mean, I just meant in. He's I didn't not like telling like, people you know, what to do. He's making right, good right. Things. I just meant like a commander. Like now we'll go do this because this is the best thing. Like a leader, like you say. But he he's been more isolated because the Rangers don't do that. They're separate. Um, yeah, he's and certainly uh, not as being a loner. Yeah. yeah, hanging out with Gandalf maybe, but. Yeah, but his, since he feels his hour has come and now Gandalf is gone, he's got this time. He doesn't see it this way, but now he's got to lead. Yeah, he has just a reluctant steps. leader. It might be, yeah. in, in a similar way, it might be that Gandalf, uh, when in his previous dealings with with uh, Aragorn, that he's he did sort of a, a grooming thing with, you know, he did Redis. that with Frodo and, and, and Bilbo. Although, looking at The Hobbit... The, the explanation for why he went and got this hobbit on this adventure was pretty damn weak. I mean, he just he just shows up and makes the hobbit go on in some adventure. Oh, Frodo? Yeah. Well, that's, you know. But that's being no, told not, by no, Bilbo, no, Bilbo, and Bilbo, Bilbo doesn't know Bilbo. all that stuff, so, you know. Bilbo's, Bilbo didn't want to go. Right? He was forced to go on that trip. But it was good for him. He needed to go. Well, he definitely appreciated it afterwards. Yeah, but you don't. We none of us want to be forced out of our comfort zones, so right. you know. All right. Well, uh, what else we got? There's uh, the meetings. Uh, there was one other thing that happens. Oh yeah, Gimli and Legolas make friends. Uh, it's a right. horrible incident, right? Yeah. 
that that's the beginning of the friendship, and they make a big deal about that in the movie. I remember, uh, but I think it's in the book as well. It, it is, is in yeah. the book. It's more it's more subdued in the book, and more feels more natural. Rather, than, I I hated that the movie turned Gimli into comedy relief. That's right. Uh, in yes. later movies, mm-hmm. especially, uh, it's like, yeah. oh, look at the funny dwarf like eating and burping, or like you know all that. It's just because he's. I mean, yeah, there is that part to him, but there's a lot of depth and the the whole Galadriel, which they did a good job of in the movie mm-hmm. um, early on. But as the movies went later, it's like, oh, what, what sort of laugh can we get out of this mm. this scene? Um, but yeah, that friendship is is there in the book, and it's it's really good. I think I I think I might be right in saying that there's even more singing in this book than in the first book. <laughs> Certainly more in a an elvish tongue, which we get all the verses in the elvish tongue. There, there's some elvish, Thanks. but there's a lot of English stuff too. And I thought yeah. some of them were really well done. You know, really yeah. deep uh, poems. I don't remember whether it's Michael Trout or the Tolkien professor. I get them conflated sometimes but one of them i think tolkien professor argues that tolkien is actually the the best selling poet of the 20th ah, century just because I guess you know, that must be true yeah, right. so many of his books and there's so much poetry in them it's not that they're buying it for the poetry well but i think a lot of people skip the poetry it. i i think you know uh, when i was a kid i was like get on with it right but uh i i think there's some good stuff in there mm-hmm. um and it's totally i mean this is the other thing is you know, every place, Casa Doom is also Moria, right? Uh, uh, Imladris is is Rivendell. Every place has multiple names. Uh, Orthanc, which we get a brief mention of with uh, Gandalf, right, is uh, is another word for um, what is it? The Isengard, right? I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. every place. Lorien is not just Lorien; it's also Lothlorien, right? Yeah. Every place has multiple names. There's other names for Lorien include uh, the Goldenwood, the Hidden Land, and Dwimwardeen. <laughs> <laughs> or Lorelindorianan. Because you're dealing with multiple languages. Exactly. Is that why? Oh. Yeah, because Aragorn has his own language, his own elven name, as does his sword when they're giving him the sheath for the sword. And she says something. It says, "Well, now this, as it's named in the elf language." Mm-hmm. Like, oh, right, right. And he's got his own name. And he's Strider okay. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But also, it's it's not just him. Uh, Gandalf has uh, an elfish name, right? Yeah. And uh, pretty much the only I, the only person who doesn't is Sam. Or <laughs> 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 yeah. Sam, he's just Sam. But everybody yeah. else has. He's happy enough. Pippin is short for Peregrine. Well, Sam is Samwise. Yeah. I guess. Oh, right, okay, right. You're right. All right. They just call him Sam, though. They never yeah. Go back to the, the full title. I don't think even in, uh, you know, Elrond's council thing, they don't even... What's Frodo's other name? Uh, uh, he used to be a Took? Please. Hmm? The ring bearer. Yeah, he's the ring bearer. Yeah. I don't yeah. Think yeah. An, epith- an epithet is also a name, in a sense, right? And he also takes... I mean, he, he kind of makes his own... Earlier, he goes by Underhill. That's true. Right? That's true. <laughs> Mr. Underhill, which was also Bilbo's uh, nom de traveling or whatever you call it. That was one of <laughs> was his riddles, scared, I think, that's wrong. when he was um, one of Bilbo's riddles when he was telling Smog who he was. I've traveled Underhill and Overhill and ridden barrels. And oh, yeah. One of those, uh, yeah. Barrel rider. That's right. That's one of the. All right. 
the epithets they give him, right? It's a classic mm-hmm. Anglo-Saxon riddle, that whole scene. But anyway, this isn't a Hobbit podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Did you guys notice uh, on the Great River there were black swans? Yes. And uh, they said, oh, they're swans. And Eric Ryan says, but they're black. That's and you're just like, oh, does that mean that? Because what you see through this whole book is that the birds are reporting back to Sauron or Sauron. Yeah. Not I, sure which something. one, but they're reporting back yeah. evil things. Well, I, I, I. They also saved Gandalf. That's true. But the, that's, the eagle. Yeah, the eagles, that's different. It's, so it depends on who they decide to be friends with because the eagles show up in The Hobbit also. I didn't see the black swan as a negative thing. Um, I think here it just happens to be. So I'll just read that section here. Okay. Um, there was no sign of living thing moving, uh, living moving things, save birds. Of these, there were many, small fowl whistling and piping in the reeds, but they were seldom seen. Once or twice, the travelers heard the rush of, or whine of swan wings, and looking up, they saw a great phalanx streaming along the sky. Swans, said Sam, and mighty big ones, too. Yes, said Aragorn, and they are black swans. Um, I didn't know why he said that if it wasn't, well, but you're right, it's not, it doesn't have anything in it well, that's... I think it's a, a, a kind of illusion. Um, so, there's a inf- uh, Tolkien is you know Oxford professor. He knows about uh, you know s- you know Oxfordy stuff, right? <laughs> so there's there's well uh, said. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, just put it down to my uh, Elvis training. Um, <laughs> oh, wise so, one. So there was a, a thing in the early 20th century uh, in philosophy about uh, you know finding truth and what the meaning of truth was. And they developed a whole language to figure out, see, they thought that a lot of the errors that were caused by humans were caused by uh, us not knowing that we're making a mistake when we're talking. So uh, uh, there's a classic one that I thought was good. Uh, It's like this. I think it might even be in Babylon 5, actually. He says, uh, Mr. Morgan. Everything's in there. We've decided that, right? Right. So (laughs) there's a line about uh, a torturer is torturing somebody. And he says in Babylon 5, and he says, um, admit it, you're under the influence of X, Y, or Z, right? Some bad person. And then he, you know, that line of, Attack doesn't work. And he says, are you saying you've never been influenced by anyone? Notice that the difference between under the influence and influenced by, Uh huge, right? Massive, Uh right? Mm -hmm. And yet that slippage between those two phrasings is not necessarily perceivable by most people, especially like little kids make this mistake, right? So you could trick a kid way easier with that than you could, you know, uh, a uh, philosophically trained elvish dude like me <laughs> uh, or whatever um i i, I like pick up on that right yeah. and say hey you're you're cheating you're 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 uh, allowing a little slippage so in the early 20th century they were working on this uh, artificial language thing kind of like tolkien was but it was it's symbolic logic right where you huh. have p equals q mm-hmm. p therefore q p implies q etc Right, so proposition and, and um, consequence, um, and a classic one in philosophy is uh, all swans are white. Uh, oh. That is a swan, therefore it is white. 
Um, and this was fine when you lived in Europe, right? Because the swans are white. But then they went to Australia and they discovered, hey, there's black swans there. <laughs> Got it. Whoa, okay. Mind blown. Yeah. So I know that is great, Jesse. Why did, why did he? Why in here? Unless it's, I mean, because it's not Australia, right? This. Is- oh, and that's just the kind of joke he would a love. All the Inklings would have loved it when he put it in there to read it to them, <laughs> and then he would have been making his little language points. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. Into the it's a nice detail. Yeah. That's perfect. So, in addition to you know, we do get a ton of birds in in both this book and the previous book. But um, what's incredibly missing to me now that I've been thinking about this for a long time, I want to do a show on uh, the megafauna. You know, there used to be all these giant animals all over the earth, and now they're all gone. We've got a few elephants left. Uh, There's a couple whales out in the ocean still. Um, But there used to be, like, everywhere, all over the planet, there was just giant, you know, sloths and giant deer and giant tigers and giant everything and now there's almost nothing left right Uh um it isn't it strange i mean considering middle earth as it is i mean it used to be covered in more trees than it is right that's one of the things that galadriel talks about um how the forest between uh i think it's galadriel elrond and and her it was all forest right mirkwood was not the only forest left yeah uh, elrond Elrond says there was a time when a squirrel could run from tree to tree from the old forest right. all the way to Rivendell or something like right. that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, the thing is, is this is very England, right? This is, this is what you go outside in England, you can lie down in a field and the most dangerous thing they can get you is a hedgehog, right? <laughs> There's no chance of being hurt except unless a horse came by and stepped on you. Yeah. It'd be a pain to do that, right? There's no yeah, dangerous animals killed. in England. And yet it used to have bears and lions, right? There used to be mm-hmm. dangerous animals there. This, uh, I don't think there is a, an, an animal bigger than the pony and it's domesticated. Uh, there's no, there's no large, there's no even deer in these books. You know this, Sam? There's lots of birds. Um, Galadriel says, we've, pa- we've been through our spring and summer and we're in our winter now, and they will not come back. Maybe, who knows what yeah. might have been. Well, well, there's some bigger animals later, but they're not from Middle Earth, I guess, to your point. The wolves. Well, there's the wolves. In, in a later no, no. book. Later on, there are some much bigger things. But, um, yeah, and whatever the Naz- Nazgul are riding in the sky, but that's, of course twisted and perverted and everything but um yeah you're right i hadn't really thought about their rabbits later yeah because they (laughs) they they, i mean there's the wolves and the i thought that the scene with the wolves was interesting because the way they described the fight was there it's kind of like the way they described the fight in with the orcs as well the the fight was there was a wolf chieftain right right he took a swipe at one of the wolf chieftains and it 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 was slain and ran off and and I was thinking was that Aragorn's using his newly forged blade or you know it doesn't really say um but that what are those wolves doing it, it, they're working for somebody is the idea right all those mm-hmm. birds are working for somebody the wolves are working for somebody but I was like also thinking maybe they're just hungry because there's no animals left <laughs> Yeah, nature does not have 
have if nature's agency is is all good. If nature does something bad, it's because there's something you know behind it. And this influencing this kind of seems to me to go back to the whole romantic idea of of nature as you know something good and benevolent and you know I, I love that romantic idea i love the idea of traipsing through the countryside and and all that but i wonder you know what would if you dropped tolkien and william wordsworth in the middle of of an african savanna and made them rough it for a few days i wonder if they'd, they'd be singing the same tune about nature when they got back <laughs> it's sort of like this uh, <laughs> There's well, this. he is so so he's so pastorally English, right? Exactly. Is it this this yeah. land full of stuff? I mean, there are wolves, but they're they they don't have a natural prey. It seems right. Their natural prey is yeah. it's kind of. I mean, you might look at it too closely, and it breaks the story. But I just think it is very reflective of because when I was a little kid, and I thought, hey, I'm going to go out and do uh, Lord of the Ringsy things in the forest. Um, you know, I actually did have to worry about bears. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. you're in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are actually bears out there, and uh, well, there's no ca- in the Hobbit there, there are deer, bears, certainly because they they deer, go across yeah. the path and break the enchantment, and people, you know, when they're in the wood, Mirkwood oh, yeah, they, or whatever they they're in. Yeah. I mean, it's just I I feel like if you asked Tolkien himself, he'd go, "Well, of course, you know." But like you say, this story, this is telling. Um, the story from that romantic point of view, and they don't have time to worry also about um, everything else because they will have a fire that they tend when they're, you know, um, just on the road and, you know, people are staying awake to keep watch. You don't know what they're keeping watch against. They just don't go into it. And I've never thought about it. That's a good point. Do, do they meet in this at all? It's It was one of the questions I was thinking. I, I think that the... Yep. The, well, I think that the elves are are not eating meat. I think they are veggies. Because the description of the... There's not a hell of a lot of description. But it, it's kind of like if you think about back to the first book with um, Tom Bombadil. His food was totally veggie, right? Right. And mm-hmm. it's not that... Like, I think they would have coffee. It's just they don't have it, right? I think they would have milk if if... Hey, Not there's the, no cows, right? There's nobody herding cows. In fact, but the men will eat meat. I mean, like I'm thinking of this is a later book, but you know, Sam's pretty excited when he gets a couple of rabbits and he's sure. making a stew. Yeah. But that that oh. is the and they eat fish and stuff. So it's fish, definitely. You know, well, so yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I was thinking about the fox in um, in the first book, where <laughs> you know person. where he says where they have that little thing uh, where the, where we hear the the fox's thoughts. I remember nice. I don't remember what he said, but something like, "Oh, what an interesting day!" I don't remember. Mm. But oh, so you've got the mm. these animals that are sentient, uh, and the tree. I, just now, when when you read that part about Frodo touching the tree and feeling the life of the tree, so if if there is so much sort of sentience. Um, coursing through everything that kind of would make you know the blood and gore of of large animals killing each other a little distracting in the land well i think the tree is i just think that was extending i mean i can't go out and do that with that tree in my backyard but that tree itself has its own life and i think that was just what that was expressing i didn't feel like that was expressing a sentience. I just felt like that was 
Um, he felt the life of the tree. It's like right. It's the like tree has its own life. It feels it in its see. own way that is very tree-like that I myself cannot feel because I am a person and I can't do that. I just felt like that was taking it back to that pastoral Eden-ish sort of a feeling. I mean, that but wasn't. It, it, yeah. It, I mean, that, but and all the birds they have too, to eat. Like everything is kind of in communication. Well, that's always been my problem with. Um, just personally speaking with people who are, well, I'm a vegetarian, this and this. And I'm like, you know, that carrot cares if it's pulled out of the ground. <laughs> and I, I'm fine with any choices anybody wants to make morally for these reasons. But I always kind of feel like, well, then you're not giving credit to everything. Everything is al- that's alive has some sense of itself being alive, whether it understands it in a way we can get or not. And so I just feel like... Um, uh, in this book, I felt like that was what the tree thing was, and therefore, I don't think they, I don't know, to me, I guess, it's just, everything's got a price. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I was just wondering if, you know, if that has anything to do with your question. There's a, like, there's a description ahead. here from the Great River, uh, another thing with birds, and I thought this was interesting. Let's see what it does. There were many birds about the cliffs of the rock chi- and the rock chimneys, and all day, high in the air, flocks of birds had been circling, black against the pale sky. As they lay in their camp that day, Aragorn watched the flights doubtfully, wondering if Gollum had been doing some mischief, and the news of their voyage was now moving in the wilderness. Later, as the sun was setting and the company was stirring and getting ready to start again, he descried, I love that word, a dark spot against the fading light, a great bird high and far off, now wheeling, now flying on slowly upwards. What is it, Legolas? He asked, pointing to the northern sky. Is it, as I think, an eagle? Yes, said Legolas. It is an eagle, a hunting eagle. I wonder what that forebodes. It is far from the mountains. We will not start until it's fully dark, said Aragorn. Hmm. So um, there's definitely, they're you know, saying the, uh, these birds are out there. But a hunting... When the Hobbit, they bring them meat, too. The eagles do, I think. I don't, I'm, they give them Rapids a hide. They give them anyway, a hide somewhere. doesn't matter. The cool thing about the vegetarians in these books is they're not the uh, militant vegetarians that we have. They're just like, <laughs> oh, we just, we just we don't eat that stuff. It's, it's, it's cool. Right. We, we just don't it's do not that. for me. It's not in season. They don't, you know, like, <laughs> this is the thing is, is I was thinking about the Rohirrim, right? We're going to get to the Rohirrim next book, I guess. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of horses. They don't seem to have a lot of uh, cows. There's no yeah. cows. There's no, like, they've got these massive fields. You know, it's all plains, and there's like no beasts other than, hmm, other than horses. In the movie. I think when they're on the run, aren't they driving like goats or something? That's the movie. I don't. And an interpretation. I'd have I mean, to. I'll we'll have see. to read the book and think we'll about that now. Get to the next. Uh... It's that thing with the fox, though. That does stand out, and I noticed it, and I thought, you know, this is almost like a holdover from when Tolkien felt like this book was going to be the sequel to The Hobbit, which is what it was supposed to be, a children's book. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you'd have foxes who, well, that's odd. I haven't seen that in a month of Sundays, you know. And um, then it never happens again. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, it just got left over. Whatever. It, it kind of reminds me <laughs> of the, the turtle from uh, Grapes of Wrath. There's this whole chapter about a turtle crossing the road and 
what the turtles the turtle seeing dust bowl era oklahoma from its perspective mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of that uh-huh. i also uh-huh. i i just noticed uh, turning the pages here they're t- they're starting to think about the orcs and then they this line I, I remember standing out when i was listening to the book every moment they expected to feel the bite of black feathered arrows notice that the the arrows have feathers but they're they're black feathers right just like those dark birds. Yeah. <laughs> Something. The, 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 even the birds are menacing, right? Yeah. E- even though we think it, you know, it's just a swan, it's, it's land. They're black swans. Yeah, I'm kind of worried about it. One thing is interesting the orcs that they're called orcs in this book, whereas they were called, also goblins. called goblins, right? Yeah, yeah, but they're mostly called orcs now, whereas in The Hobbit, they're pretty much exclusively called goblins. And I don't, I'm sure it's in, Julie, even reading the letters, or I'm sure it's in one of those big tomes of the history of middle earth that Christopher Tolkien has put together on why linguistically, I guess probably maybe for ki- because the Hobbit was directed for kids that it's more fun would have been more appropriate. I mean, it, it, um, harkens back to George McDonald's goblin princess, which I haven't mm-hmm. read, but I know it's a oh, right. Um, so I actually recently read that. It was really surprisingly good. I was, hmm. yeah. Um, the uh, although I did notice reading this, Sam toward the very end he mentioned he says goblin instead yeah, of everybody's say, talking about the orcs and he says oh those goblins or so, or you know watch out for thing. a goblin yeah it's definitely the same thing because the the sword that that Sam is uh, sorry that Frodo's using now right is um it makes me think of every time they pull out the sword they say the shire or oh. <laughs> so is it a class Everything thing is it is it if you're yeah. if you're um of a slightly lower less literate class like sam yeah kind of is do you say goblin is it like that yeah. like that um uh, yeah. in great expectations where um Estella is making fun of Pip he calls the knaves jacks and while well, they're playing right. cards you know right. it's one of those mm-hmm. things <laughs> mhm you country it's boy. Nice touch, you yeah. called it a goblin. Ha ha. That's an interesting point because if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Sam. Orc sounds more threatening, right? Yeah. Stick. Well, and at one point. Goblin sounds cute. Like he's, they he's attack. Food. And um, Legolas says, YRCH, Yerk, or whatever. Mm. He says, putting his own, speaking in his own language. And someone says, Orcs, yeah. And so you wonder if that's the derivation from using the elf word. I, I think it is. The, yeah. the sound you make when you get one of those black feathered arrows and you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh no! There they are. <laughs> is it Seth? Is is it is it right to say that the the orcs are actually twisted elves? Yes. Yeah. That's a so. Weird story. Uh, when I was in Oxford, there's a Tolkien Society in Oxford, of course. And um, one of the things they did, one of the events they did was they put um, Melkor, who was kind of Sauron's predecessor, kind of one of the, the mm, arch fiends. Yeah, they put him on trial, essentially. <laughs> they did a mock trial wow. of him. And so one of the accusations leveled against him was twisting the elves into taking some of the elves and twisting them into orcs. It, it, it was saying um, in one of the books I was reading about him, or maybe it was the Wikipedia entry, um, it was saying he was like the sort of Lucifer of of um, Middle-earth. 
pretty that, much mm-hmm. that uh, Sauron turned into he he changed sides. Uh, he's one of the Vanir or something. Changed sides and became the right hand man to uh, to Melkor uh, or Morgoth. Uh, Melkor. Yeah, which we hear, we right, hear Morgoth. Morgoth. Yeah, actually, I remember how I got to it because the Bal- Balrog. Is his epithet is like of the Morgoth or something, right? Right. That's Balrog right. of the Morgoth. And the Morgoth, I mean, it sounds really bad. <laughs> sounds like he's got to be a bad guy, right? Yeah. Much he's worse Morgoth than, the than Goth. You are. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so at some point, um, Galadriel says Sauron was, when the ring was forged, he was not evil yet, or, or she not. Or, she said he wasn't evil, completely evil to start with. Maybe he was once the ring was forged. So was that before? Okay. Was that when she's talking about? Yeah, and he he yeah. was a good-looking guy once, and he's also responsible for, if I remember right, the fall of Numenor, which is the kingdom, an island oh, cool. in the sea where that has a view of the Elven Island, which in turn has a view of the the Divine Realm, and Sauron is responsible for all that whole chain falling coming to an end and the the kings of Numenor ending up in Middle Earth which is where we get Isildur and then Aragorn it's kind of like the Atlantis uh, it is yeah of this Middle Earth well oh. or the don't the English uh fables talk about there's an island in the west Ultima and that's, Thule, maybe yeah so I don't know the name but yeah. like that's that, where which, you that's die north, or... yeah that's the sort of the Scandinavian equivalent okay Okay, but uh, well, it's you know, interesting because okay. that's uh, Robert E. Howard's got that. Uh, the Conan character is a is his the reason he's so awesome is because his ancestors were Atlanteans, and King oh. Paul is an Atlantean, right? Uh, who's a previous character? So they, they like they've got just these natural born awesomeness, which. Again, you know, he's not he's not just a ranger. You don't know what you're saying. A ranger's a big deal, right? Yeah. These, what are you these, saying? The Ranorian Western guys, they're awesome. <laughs> and it is sort of like genetic almost. Yeah, and that's why he lives he lives so much longer than uh than yeah, your average guy. Right. Right. He's he's um, too. When you were saying that Sauron was, you know, he was once good, and then he made a bad choice, obviously, and continued making that <laughs> choice, um, it made me think about something that I love from this book. It's just a throwaway sentence, but um, that the elves who were guarding Gollum said that, well, uh, Gandalf keeps saying that Gollum might be healed or cured. Basically meaning that there's some good way, way, way down deep, and he might be brought back to it. So he never gives up hope, even though everybody likes to look at Gollum and go, oh, he's twisted and awful and everything else. We're we're brought back to that point, you know, which is started at the beginning where he's like, you know, except for the grace of God and the choices we were given, there go your eyes, especially you, mm-hmm. Frodo, just like Gollum. And he's like, no, no way. Well, uh, Boromir gets his... his uh... I guess that's in the next book. Next book. Next book. But the thing that I remember blowing my mind, and I think this might have been in hearing the Tolkien Professor's podcast, was the realization, because where the movie breaks, and this is understandable from a dramatic point of view, is Boromir going down, right? Mm -hmm. 
And you think of that as the breaking of the fellowship, but the last chapter of this is called the breaking of the fellowship, mm. and it is not when he dies, it is when Boromir breaks. Mm. Mm-hmm. And everybody has to choose and scatter. Yeah, I think it, we, it has the double meaning. That's the, that's the one of the cool things about about the chapter headings is I was thinking, you know, like, oh, this is the thing that everybody hates. It's, it's, it's spoilers, right? They read the chapter heading and it tells you what it is. But actually, um, the, I started the podcast saying, you know, this is about many meetings. Actually, what's funny is the meetings happen in the Council of Elrond. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's two kinds of meetings going on. So the titles for the the especially in this book, they work backward and forward. So that after you finish reading the chapter, you say, ah, and then you read the new one and you say, oh, right. It's it, it the layering or the reflect reflectance, the dual um, mm-hmm. title meanings, right? It, he lets us interpret what that means. He doesn't say, mm-hmm. and now we are doing the many meetings that they never actually <laughs> say. That. Yeah. Yeah, well, because, um, and looking ahead, The Two Towers, the mm-hmm. next double book, is, what, um, what he said, well, in fact, question, right? I was just going to say, Tolkien was actually fine with that, as in, he didn't like, you know, breaking them up and naming them, but he wanted to be sure the names didn't give too much away, right. and so, which is why he didn't like The Return of the King, he's like, spoiler, <laughs> but he loved The Two Towers, because he said there's so many ways you could take that, and I was like, oh, I think that's actually interesting because that's one of the things people argue about. What are the two towers? And so Tolkien's like, I like it. It can mean this. It can mean that. It can mean this. I'm like, oh, sweet. So well, we've all got a preview. At least one of the towers, right? Is is uh, Gandalf talking about being up on top of uh, Isengard? Right. Poor thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hey, uh, it's it's interesting to me because reading through it, you know, for the I don't know, it's probably my fifth time reading this book, maybe forth something like that but i haven't read it for a long time it it reminds me that you know they talk a lot about the things that they're going to go and see right it's not like they didn't mention lorian before they went to the lothlothian right <laughs> they mentioned it um they talked about going to rivendell and seeing elrond before we meet elrond mm-hmm. what we didn't do was moria moria is one of the exceptions there isn't a lot of talk about let's go through Moria, right? That was sort of, oh, shit. Right. Although you, Gimli, or Gloin, I guess, telling his story, talked about how great it was and how wonderful it was because that's why they wanted to take it back. That's right. And it was one of our glories. And so it's really, you really get that sense of, um, and talking about the, there should be a stream here and there should be this here, you get that whole sense of destruction. You know, and that reminds me of the glowing, uh, uh, glowing, I guess. Glowing, Glo- sorry. Glowing, he's right. glowing, he's glowing. Glowing the dark. Uh, glowing, glowing, <laughs> glowing in the dark. Uh, so when he, his explanation for coming to the meeting is he needs some advice because uh, the evil worm tongue style dude come from Mordor has been turning yeah. up saying, you got to choose, bud. You're on our side or you're on uh, our shit list, right? And Some more rings. That's right. <laughs> Give your rings back, yeah. Back, you want that, don't you? And, of course, what I think was interesting is that their answer was a very good one, right? He's like, uh, we'll think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll yeah. think about it. And they said, well, we're coming back for the third time. So what's interesting is, I guess after this meeting, this is the other thing I was thinking. It's like, 
do these, uh, you know, is Rivendell, right after these hobbits and, you know, the humans and the dwarf leave, is there, like, another team of wanderers showing up? <laughs> and they have another meeting and they set them up on there. Because it seems like, you know, it's in Lorien. Like United Nations, I guess. <laughs> well, but even in Lorien, like, they they got all these gifts ready, right? And they it's like they've got it down pat, you know, like, this is what we do. We give them some lembass, we give them a couple boats, send them on their way. Next, <laughs> next group, come on in. <laughs> um, Except it seems the gift like, shop. Because Glowin, he's got to go yeah, back. Right. He's got to go back to the Lonely Mountain and say, you know, we're not... We're not. Is there another meeting after the one about doing the fellowship? What are you going to say to this guy? Well, there's a lot of yeah. Lot I of don't know if he gets yeah, here. That is good point. I wonder. Uh, it'd be curious. Curious to see what shows up. The end of uh, the Hobbit, and it's been a long time since I read the Hobbit. But there's a that very unwieldy battle of the five armies. I oh, guess that's what the, the movie is called Israel, right? right. But. Um, it seemed like a silly sort. Of, it was my least favorite part of the. Uh, but there's a lot of battling in. Is it the Return of the King? I guess there's. Oh, it must be a lot of battling in Return of the King. I mean, so, in the book or the movie? It, the the book. But oh there, yeah, there isn't Tons like a dwarf army that shows. It's wonderful, right? Sorry, my son. I don't. I oh, love that's it. <laughs> Seth, there's no so dwarf army. Lots of talking. Shows here. up later, right? I don't think dwarf. I don't think there's a dwarf army that shows up anywhere. I think they have their hands full up there. I, um, I think. Oh yeah, there is. There's a is dwarf there, army. The Hobbit thing. Oh, in, in the Hobbit, there is, but not in, in the Lord Hobbit. Of, there is yes, but I, I'm saying in Lord of the Rings. I don't remember a later. Like it's curious to me. Like what did what did Gorn go back and say? No, I don't think there is. Do you think that he's going to be asked again though? Because now that now that they know that. Uh, Frodo has the ring and the, and they're on the march. Maybe they're just going to discount the dwarves. I, I don't know. We don't know. That's true. They're because they're just focused on the dwarves. They're not all. You kind of feel like it's like later when they're going to come back to the Shire and just torture everyone because it would be fun. We'll take care of the dwarves then too. Maybe. Yeah. You know. There's some. Um, there's also. Uh, I wanted to mention. You know the the idea of a boss and a super boss from computer games like. Doom and such. You guys probably don't play a lot of computer games, but um, they, there's like, a, oh no, they're called a mini boss, a mini boss, and a boss, right? In a game, so like in 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 Doom, the classic first person shooter game, you know, you you run around shooting sort of orky creatures on Mars with your shotgun, and then at the end of the level, do. there would be a boss, right? But sometimes, like, you know, on the level 10, which is like a high level or something, there would be, first there would be two mini-bosses, and then there would be a boss. And then I, I think that actually comes from the, the scene in Moria, where they've got all these orcs running around, right, uh, shooting people. And then the two troll, cave trolls come up, and they make a big deal about the cave trolls in the movie, as far as I recall. Yeah, and then, years. and I think, doesn't Bilbo stab one in the foot? No, Frodo does, yeah. Frodo stabs one in the foot or yep. something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... The uh, Shire. That's right, the Shire. <laughs> Gondor! <laughs> um, and, uh, and then the mini-bosses, after the mini-bosses, they get afraid. The mini-bosses get afraid and outsteps the Balrog, the, the major boss. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's... I mean, that is why this is a set piece that we remember, 
is because of that, you know, the, the set, you've got the Oryx, those are bad. And then you've got trolls, oh shit! And then, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, it's a Balrog! <laughs> and then what everybody's running that, from, right? the Balrog. More <laughs> yeah. and Balrog. We're happy you're on our side, but we're getting out of the way. Um, I did love that, that they're all like, oh no, and they all run away. That's right. The Balrog's coming. Legolas um, recognized then, what it was, too, which is interesting. Yeah. I was wondering, and that's one thing I didn't like about the movies, too, is that here, I guess, it kind of fits, but in the movies, it seems like anytime something happens, regardless of where in the world they are, like, Legolas says, oh, this is this. It's like, it's just like they cast Gimli as a comedy relief. They cast Legolas as the guy who knows everything mysterious. Well, he is old. I guess it's translator. That. The wise elf. Um, one thing I did want to mention when I was just looking over my notes um, that I thought was also, just like we're saying, choices are a recurring thing. At one point, is it Galadriel? No, it's um, when they've entered the Lothlorien, I guess. They say the power of the Dark Lord turns those who oppose him against each other. Because here we are. We should, we're all on the same side. We're all against him. And yet we're fighting about letting a dwarf come through. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of becomes a recurring theme as you go on is we should all be working together. But this power that comes in, the temptation, the other outside forces that are, you know, shooting arrows at us and stuff, even under those pressures, we can't all fight. We can't all work together. We're, we're fighting against each other still. Going back to World War II, that reminds me of all the stories about the integration of the U.S. forces in Europe. You know, the the blacks were allowed to have the their oh, own right. airplanes, but only if they, you know, they're in their own groups. And, you know, they're not allowed to be on frontline duty, so they have to, you know, as infantry, mm-hmm. uh, they, they have to be in their own units. And so it, there was like, after World War II, there was a real push by Eisenhower to integrate, integrate the forces, right? right? Well, and also just even when you think about how I'm sure that the British and the French were like, well, we're working together mostly. But you stay over there with your bouillabaisse. <laughs> it doesn't seem very honest to me, says Sam. You know, that kind of thing. Mm. Where um, I think you get those stresses between cultures anytime. And this is kind of a a miniature look, though, at when you're working for a greater goal, what are the things that push you apart? And it's just, it's just that line really... It strikes me every time I read it is they make that point and then you see it again and again. Like, let's not even talk about Denethor yet. Wrong book, but come on. Mm. You know, so it's what what internally is driving us that we're not looking over to become bigger than we should than we are right now, that what we should be kind of thing. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really looking forward to uh, Two Towers. I, oh, yeah. I, I'm enjoying this uh, style of read along. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you invited me to do this because reading yeah. one book at a time so slowly, cool. like, is yeah. just mm. How my so we didn't get to ask you. Are you know since this is your first time reading it, are mm-hmm. you, you still mm-hmm. liking it? Or I am. I'm still liking it. Yes, I'm a um, little overwhelmed still, but liking it a lot. Yeah. It's it's a it's a very powerful read. I think. Mm-hmm. Are you tempted to skip ahead and read the whole thing? Um, yes. No, not yet. 
I, I was a little bit, but I, I think, you know, it's better when you you uh, savor it because it really is savorable. Mm-hmm. Like when I was, I was looking at the Wikipedia earlier today and uh, and I thought about skipping ahead and did not. Mm. I, I've got some like I, I've noticed my behaviors changing. I, I was really into seed cake last last time after we finished. <laughs> <laughs> And now I'm thinking about lembass. I've got <laughs> some stuff that I could use I think, as lembass. A good sign the hobbits are reflecting us, I would say. Yeah, I'd always say so. Mmm, seed cake. Mmm. Uh, well, yeah, and it's funny to me because since I read it about a year ago to talk about it on A Good Story is Hard to Find, where Seth joined us, um, I keep going, oh, I just read this, I know it, and then I'll sit down and go, well, but it's my assignment right now because we're going to talk about it. And then I start reading it, and I can't read anything else, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm savoring it. And then after I got done with it, I told my husband, I said, I know you don't read books like this, you just read fiction, but so you don't understand, I can't read any more fiction right now. It's all been spoiled for me. Mm. I'm having to go back and read books that are so different like old science fiction stories like <laughs> colors from space or something where it's just really different yeah. and so i'm not constantly going this is so much better i hate this new book now so it's very powerful that way mm-hmm. for me yeah I, I have i don't read this kind of fiction and so all of this is really brand new um so great hmm well, For me, I was thinking of Dickens and stuff like that. I'm like, nope, can't read anything big like this right now. Got to let this go. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.